you might want to start turning to the passage that we're going to be uh, looking at this morning. Acts 2, verses uh, 1 to 12. Acts 2, verses 1 to 12. If you haven't got a Bible, then no worries. We'll be projecting it up on the uh, screen later on. Visitors, baptism guests, I don't know if there's any alpha people here uh, this morning. Thank you for being patient. Welcome to Jubilee. Um, um, It's great to have you all here this morning with us. What a fantastic display um, of uh, of God, Jesus, moving in the lives of people, yeah? That's why I love watching baptisms. These Sundays are probably my favorite Sundays, actually. Real people, ordinary people encountering an extraordinary God in a very real way. Wonderful, magnificent to see, actually. Um, before we read this passage this morning, I just want to put, um, I just want to put um, what's happening before in, uh, the, in this passage into context a little. So just a few minutes on that. Jesus, over the last year, uh, over the last three years, has been shaking up the world he lives in. If you read the Bible, you know what I mean. He's been healing large multitudes of people, groundbreaking teaching, jaw-dropping acts of compassion and, uh, and mercy and miracles and signs and wonders. Jesus was something else. Thousands gathered to this wonderful Jesus. But eventually, there are turning point. There's a turning point, and Jesus starts, seems to focus on something else, something horrific something gruesome, actually, something that really baffled his followers, something that baffles people still today. And you know the story, don't you? We've sang about it. We hear about it every Easter, don't we? Jesus eventually, willingly, is nailed to a cross to die, pressured by the religious people of his day, egged on by the same crowds, actually, that were once cheering him on a few pages earlier and enforced by the Roman government, the Roman authorities of the time. Jesus is dead. The disciples, nearest, uh, the, the disciples, Jesus' nearest and dearest, were all in shock. Jesus is dead. Grief. Was it all just a lie? Did we give up everything, really, for this guy on the cross? What's going on? But then, as we know, three days later, Jesus reappears to them, resurrected, risen to life again, risen from the grave. Hard to believe, I know if you're not a Christian, totally staggering to the guys who saw it themselves um, in Jesus' time. But historians who have looked at this into detail um, tells us that the evidence for the resurrection is almost irrefutable. It's fact. And he reminds them, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, of the things that he said earlier while he was... while he was there walking on planet Earth, Earth, things that were just plain difficult for them to get, actually, to take in it, to take it all in. He said things like in John 13, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. Jesus said in four, John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus, what are you talking about? Where was he going? Who was coming? Who was he going to send? You can imagine their bewilderment, can't you? You can imagine their turmoil, their confusion. What now? What's he on about? But before Jesus left them again, he gave them very clear instructions. He said this, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, wait for the gift 
my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Well, not knowing what to expect, really, they did what he said. They waited in hiding, fearful for their very lives, actually. If they kill Jesus, they would be, if they've killed Jesus, who is next? Them. This isn't a pantomime, folks. It's not a fairy story. It's a real deal. It's a story of persecution. And so we get to Acts, um, and so we get to Acts 2, verses 1 to 12. Let's read it, shall we? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being smoke spoken. A miracle. Utterly amazed, they ask, aren't all those who are speaking, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Because they don't, they, don't, they don't like anyone. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, a whole lot of people. We hear them declaring, listen to this, declaring the wonders of God, Jesus, in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Let's pray. Yes, Lord, I thank you that you are a wonderful God. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for uh, Lorraine, Janice, Farai. I thank you that you are, uh, that you are uh, bringing people into your family. I thank you, Lord, that you are pulling people out of darkness and bringing them into light. I thank you, Lord, that you are uh, filling people with your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you are bringing your word, your, your word alive in people's lives. I pray, Spirit of God, be with us this morning. Um, whether we believe in you or not, actually, be with us this morning. I pray, Lord God, you speak to people, everyone in this room. I pray, Lord God, that we will be a people who are willing to come to you, love you, have faith in you, worship you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. We love you. We love you so much. And we want to, we want to be a people who declare that love everywhere we go, everywhere we, everywhere we are, every, everyone who we speak to. Come, Spirit of God, be with us. Be with me this morning as I open up the Word. I pray, Lord God, that lives would be changed this morning. People would come into a new, living, loving experience of you. Come. Amen. Good question, really. What does this all mean? That's what they said. Why are the events of this day key to a glorious, relevant, attractive, city-changing, nation-moving church of God? I believe that that's what this, I believe that that's what Acts 2 answers, actually. 
And really, that's what I want to talk about this morning as we come to our family meeting tonight. I'm not going to give you a long uh, vision talk tonight, by the way. As Paul said, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to seek God uh, into some of these things. And so, and, and so some of these things this morning, I would like us to pray about tonight uh, as, we, as we see what God has done in terms of our finances, but also as we seek God in where we're going and how God is going to provide So three headings for you about the importance, the meaning of Pentecost, how it revolutionized the church. That's what we call um, um, the the stuff that went on this day. So three headings. Pentecost means a new presence. Secondly, Pentecost means a new purpose. Thirdly, Pentecost means a new people. Firstly, a new presence. So what is Pentecost? Well, we often refer to the events that we've just read about, actually, uh, as, uh, uh, about as Pentecost, don't we? The day of Pentecost. In fact, Pentecost Sunday, I think, was only a few weeks ago. We sometimes call it Whitson, I think. But if you read, the, if, if you read verse 1, you'll have noticed something. It says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So what I've never really got or ever really noticed before is that Pentecost was clearly something else before these miraculous events actually happened, weren't they? To the Jews of the time, they were celebrating something else. What was, what was the first Pentecost that they were celebrating? What was the feast day? What, would they, what they would have actually called, not Pentecost, they would have called it Shavuot, meaning the 50th day. What was important about the day of Pentecost that they were celebrating, which brings meaning, which sheds light on the day of Pentecost that we've just read about. Well, Shavuot, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, Shavuot, I tried to uh, click on the pronunciation, but my computer skills gave way. Um, Shavuot, or Pentecost, was 50 days after the Passover. Remember the Passover, where God passed over all all the Jewish nation in Egypt as they marked their homes with the blood of a sacrificed lamb, where God dealt with their enemies and pharaohs and chose Moses to bring them out of captivity and slavery from Egypt. An amazing day for the people of Israel, a people God had specifically chosen to bring his joy news to all the nations. If you've seen the Prince of Egypt, or if you're my age and you remember Charlton Heston's The Ten Commandments, you'll know what I'm talking about. Still a very important day when it comes to uh, the Jewish calendar. And about 50 days after they'd gone through the Red Sea, after they'd um, you know, escaped Egypt, as it were, God's people eventually stopped and camped down in front of, a, in front of Mount Sinai, And and Moses goes up the mountain, coming face to face with God. And God gives him the law, what we call the Ten Commandments. That's what Pentecost was celebrating, actually, in Jesus' time. Fifty days after after, uh, escaping Egypt, and at the time where uh, they received the law, the Ten Commandments. The ancient book of Exodus describes it like this. Exodus 19, then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai, get this, was covered with smoke, because the Lord descended on it in fire. 
The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Wow! Why was it wow? It was wow because when God is described as fire in the Bible, it's not only describing his refining white-hot purity and holiness, it's not only describing his tremendous beauty, the satisfying glory of God. No, it's also describing the inaccessibility of God, that he's not safe, that he's distant. You can't go near him just as you are. But Moses did and survived to tell the tale. Remarkable, really, to the people who would have been reading this. And so at Pentecost on this day that we've just read about, the people will have had what's happened in Moses' time in mind. And so when these miraculous events of the second Pentecost start unfolding, they would have been gobsmacked, utterly, totally amazed. It says this in verse 2, doesn't it? Suddenly, and you might hear, feel a resemblance here to what we've just read, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and the whole house um, where they were sitting um, uh, shook. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with God, the Holy Spirit. Do you see it now? Do you see it now? The first Pentecost, one man goes up to the fire. That was a big deal in itself. But on the second Pentecost, the fire separates. Did you notice that word separate? And meets all of them, fills them actually. Suddenly, the meeting place of God isn't some distant, distant wilderness somewhere. It isn't some high uh, mountaintop. No, the meeting place of God becomes us. We become the mountain. That's what Jesus is. That's what Jesus was saying all along. Before I, God, Jesus was saying, was with a few of you, but now I will send my. Uh, I will send the Spirit of myself, God the Holy Spirit, me in every way so that I can be with everyone, everywhere, every time. Pentecost, God comes to us. God breaks in. Wow. You might have sensed that as we worship this morning, as people brought words or songs from God. That's what I really loved about prayer week last week, seeing people revived and refreshed by the power of God. It was great seeing people coming alive to God, uh, coming alive again to God, God speaking to people, God speaking through people, God challenging people, um, God shaking people, God answering prayer. We've had a lot of answers to prayers just recently, and I'm sure more to follow. God bringing in new life. God lifting people's heads above the distractions and difficulties of life. God with us. In our prayer teams, in our community groups, Jubilee, in our kids' work, in Open Door, Sparklers, Hope, in our marriages, with our kids, with our friends, are we meeting God? Are we close? Are we experiencing His goodness, His love, His comfort, His call? If not, why not? Jubilee, I believe this is a season of high expectation. 
his invitation to, that, this, that this is his invitation to all of us, not just one man or woman on a mountain, all of us, you and me, in signs and wonders, in praying for the sick, in creativity and worship, in displays of compassion uh, and kindness to the poor and marginalized, in seeking the miraculous pr- provision of God. God is on the move. I don't want to be doing I don't want to be going through the motions of Christianity without God. I don't want a church where God the Holy Spirit isn't welcome, isn't experienced, isn't expected. Do you? Why would you? If you're not a Christian here this morning, you too could know this God. Because do you know what? He's come to you too. Pentecost meant a new presence, a totally new experience of God, God with us, as the gentleman brought this morning. We are to be dam busters for God, allowing the river of God to flow through and for us, for the landscape to be changed, because that's what happens when you burst a dam. I've seen the films. (laughs) Secondly, Pentecost meant a new purpose. The other thing that the Jewish people would have remembered and celebrated that the first Pentecost would have been God giving them the law, the Ten Commandments, uh, what has now become known as the Torah. Um, what were they all about? What was, what was this law? Well, the law, give, the law was God's way of communicating to his people, because in a relationship, communication is very important. Charlotte keeps telling me that on a regular basis, and she's totally right was God's way of communicating to his people things that pleased him, how to respond to the God who 50 days earlier saved them from slavery. There were the very instructions, because actually that's what Torah means, um, instructions shaping them into a holy, set-apart, unique nation, willing to be different, out of step sometimes with uh, the world around them, countercultural, his treasured possession, what the Bible the Bible describes a kingdom of priests who would carry his presence to the nations, making him God visible to the world and changing it. That's God's heart. God wants to be seen through his people, you and me, doesn't he? But the other fascinating thing about the Ten Commandments is that they weren't really commandments in the way we think commandments are. Are they? In the Hebrew, uh, they were actually called, not the Ten Commandments, they were called Ten Words. Look at some of them. You shall have no other gods. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. These aren't just ten warnings, ten rules. No, they're actually ten promises that God will make us holy from the inside out. But how? And that's what happened at Pentecost. God's messenger, the prophet Ezekiel, uh, years before, gave us a hint of what Pentecost was all about, actually, how this would happen. It says in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 28, it says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. 
That's what Jesus did on the cross. That's what we've been singing about. He took away all of our shame and stains and scars that separated us from God. He took the penalty for all our sin and wrongdoing, uh, all our pride, all our self-centeredness, all of our dishonor, disobedience, disregard for God. He took all of that so that we would be sprinkled clean. And then, hear this. This is what Ezekiel goes on to say. He says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will, will, will be your God. That's God's promise to you as you come into relationship with Jesus, Janice, Lorraine. As you let him do in you what he has done for billions of people around this world. Later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul puts it like this. Another man who um, came face to face with God and was changed. He says this in uh, the letter to the Galatians 5.22. The fruit of God the Holy Spirit in us is love. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so at the second Pentecost, the fullness of those promises start to come true. God, the indweller, changes us from the inside out. And it's for all of us, not just the special ones. Later on in Acts 2, it says, we didn't read it today, it says this, I will pour out my spirit on all people, on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, the lowest of the low, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Suddenly, Before, it was God's special people who had the privilege of receiving God's Spirit and being mobilized into action. Joshua, Moses, David. But now everyone, all backgrounds, all races, young and old, rich and poor, suddenly have kingdom purpose, suddenly have kingdom significance, kingdom authority. God wants to use you no matter what you think. um, God wants you to step out on those stepping stones, those solid firm foundations that Jesus is building. As Tom said. Like I said yesterday at men's breakfast, when God chooses you, it becomes your responsibility, my responsibility, to come through with God, to take him seriously. None of this false humility. Am I good enough? Look at my past. I'm nowhere better than him. Of course you're not. That's exactly why God has chosen you. The Apostle Paul writes how God made this crystal clear to him as he changed the uh, face of Christianity at the time. He said this in 2 Corinthians 12, God speaking to him, My grace, Paul, all of us, is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, he says, I, Paul, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Do you get it? Jubilee, don't count yourself out. Where is God calling you to serve? Who is God putting in your way to tell and show that? to show them about the mighty works of Jesus. How generous is God calling you to be? Where will God send you next? Will you go? Will you follow? Pentecost means a new presence. God the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Pentecost means a new purpose. God's grace, canopy of grace, empowering all of you to do the impossible, making the mighty works of Jesus known to your family, your friends, Teesside, this nation, and the nations. Finally, Pentecost means a new people. A new people. In the early chapters of uh, the Bible, in Genesis 10 and 11, there's a list of nations, it's actually called the Table of Nations in the Bible, similar to all the people who witness this second Pentecost that we've just read about that I tried to pronounce correctly. It tells the very famous ancient story of what's called the Tower of Babel. We often uh, teach our kids about it. Where a group of nations unite. This is about, I think, third millennium, oh, I don't know when, a long time ago. Ancient. Um, it, it describes a, 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 group, a, a group of nations uniting in rebellion and opposition to the God of the Bible. Despite his grace and provision, despite his mercy and love, despite his sovereignty and power, they all gather together and say, come together in unity. God likes unity, but not always. Depends on what they're unified about. They say, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that, we may make, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered all over the face of the earth. They decided that they wanted to build a city, a place of man-made security, of man-made power, man-made protection, so that they would be safe together, not, not scattered over the face of the earth, not relying on God, disobeying, actually, his original commission actually to go forth and multiply, filling the earth with the glory of God. They also built a tower, um, probably a bit like the one in this picture, a stepped pyramid uh, used as a temple of, uh, to worship false gods called a ziggurat. The tower was to show people that who was in charge, they were in charge, that they were the bee's knees. Let Let's all live for our own glory and name rather than worshipping their creator God. Sounds familiar? We live in a similar age, don't we? An age that disobeys, dishonors, disregards God. An age of rivalry and pride and one-upmanship, dog-eat-dog, making a name for ourselves at the expense of others, living for our own glory, building our own towers, an age that is so preoccupied with itself that there's no room for God. In fact, our motto is, leave me alone, God. I'll do it my way. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. As a result, the Bible says, we have a world just like Babel which eventually became the famous Babylon, 
humankind's city, a dark city, the city of war and racial tension and lust and anger and jealousy of greed, lies, prostitution, breakdown, violence and injustice, Babel, Babylon. In Genesis 11, God eventually says, enough's enough. He disables their plans by confusing their ability to communicate. Genesis, in Genesis 11:7, we read, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that, we, so that they will not understand each other. That's all it took. So the Lord scattered them for, uh, from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. End. Whether we like it or not, God is in charge. It all begins and ends with him. That's the curse of Babel. The people on this day, the second Pentecost, will have remembered this and stood back in awe at the series of miraculous events that were unfolding before them. Suddenly, as the Spirit of God breaks in, people who were once enemies, who once didn't care much for each other, particularly the Galileans, who once might have even been at war and conflict with one another, suddenly begin to speak in a common language where they understand one another, praising Jesus, united, a miracle. That's what brings unity, God's presence. That's what heals the hatred between races and cultures. That's how the gospel cuts right through all those man-made barriers, towers, walls that we put up. God breaks in. Jubilee, look around. Look at that picture. Look around this room. Where else would you see so many different cultures, backgrounds, languages, different paths, different stories, different lives coming together in unity and friendship and love? This is what the world yearns for. Some people have come to Jubilee and have been astounded by it. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, it utterly changes you. It's a miracle, actually, as we're born again. When God reveals his truth into you, that you're not saved by your mighty works, but by Jesus' mighty works on the cross, not by your goodness, but by his goodness, not by your past, but by his, Jesus' past, that becomes the great leveler. Suddenly, I'm not better than you. doesn't matter what I think. My tower isn't higher than yours. Tim Keller, a New York pastor, writes this. Christians, us, you and me, have within their belief system the strongest possible resource for practicing sacrificial love, generosity, and peacemaking in the city, in the town. At the very heart of our view of reality was a man who died for his enemies, praying for their forgiveness. Reflection on this, thinking about this, letting this move you can only lead to a radically different way of dealing with those who are different from us. When the Spirit of God comes, Jubilee, it creates a totally different community. That's what we see later on in Acts 2, don't we? When we go down to verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. A few lines ago, they, didn't, they hated each other. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They brought bread in their homes and ate together, remembering and celebrating Jesus with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. William Temple, I think he was a former archbishop of somewhere, Canterbury, thank you, said, the church is the only society that exists for the benefits, for the benefit of those who are not its members. Jubilee, God is building a church of all nations and cultures and backgrounds. God is raising a community of believers that sacrificially live their lives for the sake of others, giving eye-poppingly generously, going out of their way. God is gathering a people from every tribe and tongue and people group to be a display of his wonder on the earth, to live under the canopy of grace that he has spread over us, restoring us, releasing us into all that God has planned for us. Jubilee, will you be that church? Will you be that church? Will you? Will you press into all he has? Will you follow him? Will you be a Pentecost people? An explosion of his love and mercy and unity. Will you? Will you? Yes, Lord, we will. I think that's our prayer. That's our commitment. That's, our, that's what we want to say to God, don't we? For everything he has done to us. If you stand there, if the band comes up, that would be great. We're going to worship now. We're going, to be, we're going to worship now. And as we worship, I just want to respond to some of those words that were brought this morning. I believe God is in this room. I believe God the Holy Spirit is moving very powerfully, actually. I believe God wants to, does want to heal people. Does, if you've got a sickness, if you've got an illness, if you've got pain or uh, a disease or something that you want to cry out to 